Good seeing you all here today. Welcome to Connect Church. Let me just add that to what you've already heard today. It's a, it's a good day to be here. We wish Dave was here, um, but we're glad he is uh, uh, able to be with his family during this time where there's that need. And uh, I'm sure he's watching online, so let's all say hi. Hi, Dave. <laughs> he's, uh, he's probably watching from England right now, so there's our international audience. Makes me feel like we're kind of a big deal when we got him watching from overseas. Hey, uh, my name's Andy. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and uh, today we're going to continue a series that we kicked off last week and when Dave was with us. And so uh, the, the series is entitled Ducks in a Row. It's a series where we're talking about the priorities, the things, the different things that are vying for our time, and then how we work together to, uh, to, to prioritize those things so that we can grow, so that we can move forward, so that we can have a better year this year than the previous year. And as we're thinking this way, one of the things that people are so often doing this time of year is we are setting goals and New Year's resolutions for the upcoming year to make sure that we can grow in 2021. I I was looking through my social media this past week, uh, and, and, and somebody posted this on Twitter, and I just thought this was really funny. This is somebody, I don't know this person, but somebody had retweeted this, and, uh, and so I just thought I'd share it with you. These are her goals, her resolutions for 2021. She wants to travel to the other side of the room. <laughs> she wants to wear a different shirt. Maybe if she's lucky, she'll cut her screen time down to 11 hours from, from 12 hours a day. Um, she wants to eat a vegetable in 2021. And uh, maybe even if she's really going after it, she's going to bathe in this upcoming year. Um, you know, I was looking at that and I was, I was chuckling. I was thinking, man, you know, that, that, that's obviously a joke. But there's, a, in, in a really weird way, I look at that and I think, boy, for some of us, that might actually be an improvement over what we were able to accomplish in 2020. Because it was a rough year, and, and, but now we have this kind of like, at least it's a mental sort of clean slate, an opportunity to start New. So in this series, we're looking at this idea of getting our ducks in a row, prioritizing things. We, we, we went out and we got these really cool little uh, uh, rubber duckies with the Connect Church logo on the stomach. This is uh, available to you at the Connect at the welcome desk. So we would love for you to come by and pick up one of these and put it in a prominent place in your house so that you can be reminded throughout the upcoming year of the importance of getting your ducks in a row. So stop by the welcome desk. If you're watching online and you haven't, you know, you're not going to be in the building today, we will have them available at the building for the next two days. If you want to come by during office hours, you can uh, uh, certainly do that from nine to four here at the Connect Center. Who wants this one? I want to get rid of this one. Mr. Matthew. Oh, nice hands. You know what? That was kind of a cruddy throw. That was on me, not on Emily. She's, she, I've seen her catch before. She can catch. All right. So here we go. We're talking about getting our ducks in a row this morning. And so this is the series where we are, are, are talking about priorities. Now, Dave kicked it off last week when he was uh, with us virtually through, through the video. He talked about how we all have a limited amount of time. Now, the one thing that you and I have in common, you may have more talent than me, you may have more money than me, you may be healthier than me, we may have varying amounts of these different things that people focus on early on in the year, but there's one thing that we all have the same amount of, and that's time. And so Dave kicked it off last week talking about when we have a limited amount of time, it's not about how much time we have, it's about how we use it. 
It's about how we take these important things and we, we put them in as priorities within the limited amount of time we have. And so this is a time of year where people are looking at things like our health. So people are setting goals for working out diet, exercise, all of these things. We, people are thinking about their finances. And so like the, the, the class that we just talked about a few moments ago, that Chris was talking about financial peace. Maybe they're looking to pay off a credit card or work down their debt or save, build their savings. Uh, people are thinking about growing their relationships. And so they are, you know, this is a time of year where we're just thinking about progress. We're thinking about, man, we have this opportunity to move forward. So how do I want to use the time that I've got in my upcoming year? So when, when Jess and I, uh, years ago, when I was 18 years old, I moved to Minnesota to go to college. Now I had only been before, the, before I moved there, I had only been to Minnesota one time for three days total. So I didn't know much about Minnesota, Minnesota culture, the, the life there. There's a lot of cool stuff there. But I ended up living there for five years, four years as a college student, and one year as a youth pastor in a suburban Minneapolis church. And there was one thing I learned about Minnesota while I was up there, and it's this that people from Minnesota are very, very weird. <laughs> they, they really are. And forgive me if you are from Minnesota, but you probably know what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, he's right. We, I got up there, and I really didn't know what to expect, but during my time there, I found this to be the case. Let me give you an example of one, one of the many reasons why this is true, that they are such weird people. Um, there's a game that we probably all, you know, all played growing up in preschool, in the beginning, in grade school, uh, a game that we played called Duck, Duck. There you go. Thank you. Goose. The, the crowd said goose. All right. So let, let, let me just tell you why these Minnesotans are so goofy. Um, my freshman year, I didn't really know anyone at the school. I knew a few people who had come up from, with me from, from the area where I lived. But I didn't grow up in Minnesota, and I got there, and we had this freshman orientation thing, and we had these activities where you're getting to know some of your incoming classmates. And a lot of the kids who had come in with me were from Minnesota, and so I was kind of in the minority there. And so I'm sitting there, and we're at this event where we are talking about, for some reason, we're talking about games we played as kids. So games like Tag, and Red Light, Green Light, Red Rover, and things like this. And this one young man who happened to be from Minnesota stands up and he says, oh yeah, so one of the games I played when I was little was this game called Duck, Duck, Gray Duck. <laughs> and I, I paused and I said, you know, I, I very simply, very honestly, sincerely, I raised my hand. I said, hold on, I'm not familiar with this game. Is that similar to a game I played growing up called Duck, Duck, Goose? The right way to call the game, right? <laughs> and... Uh, he has the audacity to kind of, you know, just snicker at me and then look at all his Minnesota buddies and go, get a load of this guy. You know, he called it Goose. And I'm sitting there, once I realize what's going on, that we're talking about the same thing and he thinks I'm the moron, and I realize this, then I got so offended by this and I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't get to laugh at me. I'm laughing at you. You guys are the morons. Look, right, guys? And then I'm trying to get all my fellow non-Minnesotans to gang up on them. Because it, it was, it's this really weird thing. For some reason, people from Minnesota are of the mindset that if they call something that thing, even if nobody else in the world calls it that, that's what it is. And they're so weird like that. 
But when I, whenever I think of that, that story, my first experience with hearing people call a game I grew up with called Duck, Duck, Gray Duck, it makes me picture ducks in a row like this. And it makes me think, you know, you've got one duck, two ducks, three ducks. You've got a duck in there that just doesn't look like the other ducks. It stands out. It's gray. It's kind of goofy. Maybe it's the ugly duckling in the old, you know, the Hans Christian Andersen story. I think that was him. But it stands out, and it's just different from the others. Today, the, the, the story that I want to talk to you about, the, the uh, duck that I want to talk to you about, is one that I think gets often overlooked. It's one that we don't always think about when we're talking about growth in the upcoming year. So we focus on health, we focus on finances, we focus on relationships, all amazing things to, to focus on and put goals on. But I think so often we do that at the expense of maybe the most important one, which is your spiritual growth and development. You see, I believe that you were created by God as a spiritual being, which means that at the center of who you are is your spirit. And your spirit is is the place from which everything flows. And so if my spiritual life is healthy, then the other areas of my life are going to be somehow affected by that. But I feel like so often we work the other way. We work outside in when I think God would prefer for us to focus inside out. Focus on spiritual transformation. And so today I really want to talk about this idea of putting first things first. I want to talk about the area of your spiritual life And then I want to ask this question, how does one prioritize faith so that we grow over time? How does one prioritize faith to the point that we grow over time? So today I want to do two things. I want to talk about, I want to start with asking this question, where does a healthy faith life begin? And then what does it involve over time? So let's start with that first part. Where does a healthy faith life begin? In order to answer that question, I want to look in the, the New Testament at a story from the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter. So if you know the makeup of the Bible, you know there's the Old Testament, New Testament, right? Old Testament is everything that was before Jesus, all the prophets, all the uh, you know before Jesus kind of stories, David and, and Goliath and Moses and the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments. And a lot of those kinds of things are the old side. The New Testament is Jesus's life and then the beginning of the early church. And there are four books in the beginning of the New Testament that, that basically just spell out what Jesus' life was all about, the narrative of his life called the Gospels. And so Matthew is one of those Gospels, and he does this thing where he, he basically just tells Jesus' life over uh, the three and a half years that he was a public figure. So Jesus was probably about 30 years old, most Bible scholars say, when he became this public figure. He kind of stepped onto the stage of the public scene. Before that, he was like a private citizen. He was waiting his time until it was time for him to step out and begin his public ministry. But for three to three and a half years, Jesus was a very public person. He lived out loud. He was out in front of people. And so people knew who he was, and there had begun to be this this buzz about him. You know, there's this conversation that is going on because the people in in his area were seeing him do things that they had never seen before. They were hearing him teach in ways that they had never heard anyone teach before. And so they they had seen things like uh, just a few days before this, uh, there, there was a time where Jesus had this huge crowd around him. 
and everyone was getting hungry, and Jesus miraculously fed over 5,000 people with a small basket of food. He just blessed the food, and it kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying until everyone in that place had all they could eat, and there was leftovers. Amazing. A miracle, right? That'll get people talking. And then there, was, uh, there were times where Jesus would take people who had never walked before, people who'd been crippled or, or lame from birth, and he would raise them up and give them the ability to walk for the first time. There were times where he would open the ears of deaf people. He would open the eyes of blind people. On a few occasions, Jesus had even raised people from death back to life. And so you better believe when somebody's going around an area doing things like this, people are talking, aren't they? People are talking about that individual. And so Jesus is walking on this road to a a place called Caesarea Philippi. They're kind of vagabonds in a way. They're journeying. And and so they're they're on the road and they're moving along. And Jesus asks his disciples. I, I picture it with just him and the 12 disciples. So they're walking along and they're having casual conversation. And Jesus, in verse 13, turns to his disciples and he asks them this question. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, this is a pretty softball type question. You know, I'd almost refer to it as a bit of an icebreaker. It gets them talking a little bit because it's an easy question to answer. You see, the disciples, they could sneak off into the city. They could hear people talking about Jesus. They could hear the the gossip and the whispers. Jesus may not hear that because whenever Jesus comes around, the people hush up, they listen, they turn their attention to him. But when the disciples would sneak off, they could hear what people were saying about Jesus. And so Jesus kind of, you know, getting the lay of the land maybe a little bit. Who are people saying that I am? And the disciples come up with some, some responses. Right away, they, they start saying um, some answers. They, one of the guys speaks up and say, well, I've heard somebody say that you're actually John the Baptist. Now, if you know the New Testament, John the Baptist was a very significant figure in the days of Jesus. He was a spiritual leader that was pointing people to God, calling them to repentance, calling them to be baptized. And Jesus comes onto the scene around this time. And for some reason, rumors were going around. John had died a little bit before this. And people were saying, maybe he's John. Maybe he's come back and he's John the Baptist. Other people, another disciple speaks up and says, well, I've heard some other people say that you're actually the second coming of Elijah. Elijah, if you don't know, was an Old Testament prophet who did some amazing miracles. There were times where where there were were things that would happen that people had never seen before. Miracles, uh, uh, calling down fire. It's this whole crazy, like, season in the people of God where there were these amazing miracles happening and Elijah was the prophet that was kind of at the center of all that. And people were saying, well, maybe he's Elijah. Another disciple speaks up and said, I heard somebody say, you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a very significant Old Testament prophet who called people back to God in a season where they had drifted and gotten far away. And this is very similar to the message that Jesus was bringing. And so all three, you know, all three of these responses, and there maybe may have been some others, but the, the point is that the disciples were able to quickly answer Jesus's question when he says, who are people saying that I am? But then there's this moment where Jesus flips the whole conversation and it goes from casual to a little bit more intense. And he says, okay, guys, but who do you say that I am? That is a different question, isn't it? It's so different because when, when I'm answering who did somebody else say, 
it's a really easy way, thing for me to answer because all I have to do is just repeat what I've heard. I don't have to defend that position. If somebody says, he's not John the Baptist, I don't have to be offended because it wasn't my position. It's just what I heard, right? It's just what I heard somebody else say. And so, and so the, 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 the first question is pretty casual. And then there's this question where he says, but who do you say? So in other words, I, I want to hear your thoughts, your opinions. And I always picture this moment a little bit like this. Jesus is presenting that first question and the responses come back very easily. Casual, right? And then when he asks this second question, there's a bit of a pause maybe and a bit of hesitation because now it's like, whoa, nobody's really put me on the spot like that. Nobody's really asked me what I actually believe about him. You see, a lot of times we we look at this situation and we think, man, we know who Jesus ended up being. We know what he went on to do. If you know the Bible, you kind of know the story. And so it's easy to just kind of put all of that hindsight on this situation. But at this point, there had only been questions about Jesus. There were a lot of cool things that he was doing, but now Jesus is putting them on the spot and he's saying, who do you say that I am? And the I just imagine this pause in the group, like where everyone's like, ooh, I don't know that I want to go on record. (laughs) I don't know that I want to have to defend what I think because I'm not totally sure yet. And Peter speaks up. You know how in every friend group, there's that one person who isn't afraid to answer? (laughs) There's that one person who's a little bit, maybe they're bold, Maybe they're a little brash. Maybe they're a little cocky. Maybe they think they're smarter than everyone else. Maybe it's some combination of all of the above. But there's always that one person who is is the first to leap, the first to act. They're a little bit impulsive. They're a little bit leap without looking kind of personality. Peter was that guy. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we see cases where where there were different things that were happening and, and, and Peter would act when everyone else would wait. You know, I'm a waiter. I'm going to sit back and watch what's going on and figure it out and analyze. Peter's just a, I don't know what's going on. Let's just do it. You know, and he's just like leaps without looking sometimes. And so Peter, true to form, speaks up in, in a response to Jesus's question. Simon Peter, Matthew says, answered the question. He says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now this is a huge statement that's being made. This is not some casual response. This is a big, big thing he is saying. And this is why. The, the, the Messiah was somebody that the Jewish people had been waiting for for many, 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 many generations. For thousands of years, they had been told of the coming of this person. The word Messiah, it, it literally means the anointed one of God. And so it's, Messiah is a Hebrew word. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So the word that was throughout the Old Testament was Messiah. And it told of this person who would come. And the New Testament was written in Greek. The same word in Greek is the word Christ. Uh, and, and, and that's how we say it. And um, it means the same thing. And so when we call Jesus Christ, it's like calling him Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one of God. But you have to understand this. The Messiah, the prophets told, would be this person who would be a deliverer, a healer, a king, a ruler. He would be a savior. 
And so when, when Peter makes this statement that you are the Messiah, he is making a massive claim about Jesus, this rabbi he's been following for the past few years. He's saying that I believe you're the one we've been waiting for for years and years and years and years. You see, Throughout Jewish history, up until Jesus' time, there were always people who would come on the scene, and they would be somewhat impressive. They, were, they, they, they would teach in a way that they had never heard before, or, or they might be a powerful warrior, and so they would be a part of delivering the people of Israel from uh, an oppressive power that was over them. And so whenever something like this would happen, the people of Israel would start to whisper, and they would start to wonder, and they would say, could this person be the one we've been waiting for? But the thing was, over time, that person would fade away. And maybe they lived up to one part of what the Messiah was supposed to be to some extent, but no one had fulfilled all of the prophecies that had been spoken about this coming Messiah. So they would come and go without ever living up to the full stature of who the Messiah would be. And so nobody... Even though, even though Jesus has, has done a lot of cool things and there have been a lot of questions about who he actually is, to my knowledge, nobody had gone on record <laughs> to this extent yet. Nobody had said, I believe he is in fact the one. But here is Peter making this bold proclamation that you are the one we've been waiting for. You are the savior, the healer. You are the son of God. You are the anointed one. There is, uh, you are the one we've been w- waiting for. And Jesus replies to this with his own um, message back to him. He says, he says this. He says, you were blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So there are two things in Jesus's response to Simon Peter. The first thing is that he acknowledges and affirms this truth. What you have said is true. Jesus doesn't deny it. He doesn't shy away from it. He says, blessed, ding, 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 ding. You know, you're right. That is who I am. This is the first moment that I can see in the scriptures where Jesus makes a bold proclamation to affirm the question as to whether or not he is the Messiah, the one that they are all waiting for. So Jesus affirms it. And secondly, he acknowledges this, this really interesting thing that Peter didn't arrive at this conclusion simply by using his brain. He didn't just rely on his senses, logic, reason, rationale. It wasn't solely a a decision he came to based on those things. In fact, it was something much, much, much deeper than that that had happened in this moment. You see, logic, reason, rationale, those things are always a part of leading us to Jesus we, we do a class here called Alpha where we go through some of the basics, some of the who is Jesus, who did he claim to be. We're giving you information, but then there has to be something that happens beyond that, something that happens inside of you, within your spirit, where your eyes are opened in a way that Peter's were. And in this moment, Jesus acknowledges that that, that, that moment happened for Peter. His eyes were open to see something that had been true and standing in front of him this whole time, but he had not put the pieces together until this very moment. Jesus says, God has revealed this to you. So this was the beginning of something brand new for Peter. It was a transformation in his life, and he would never be the same. He would have ups and he would have downs, just as all of us do after our interaction with Jesus. But he would never be the same from this point forward. 
And Jesus speaks to that. He says, now I say to you. So he's affirmed that he is the Messiah. He's affirmed uh, that, that Peter has, has seen this through his eyes being opened by God helping him to, him to understand this. And he says this, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Now, up till this point, I've been calling him Simon. I've been calling him Peter. I've been calling him Simon Peter, right? The author even does that. There's, there might be some confusion for some of you if you didn't grow up in church and you don't know. This man that we're talking about was born into this world as Simon. And in this moment, Jesus changes his name to Peter because he's changing his identity. He's calling something out of him. But for the sake of understanding who this person is, the author sometimes calls him Simon Peter. And you'll see that throughout the Bible, people calling him Simon Peter. But it's, it's really the same guy. And so Simon is this guy who grew up in this world. And, and it, 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 I don't know about you, but when we had our kids, uh, if you have children, maybe you did better than us in this way. We didn't really think about the meanings of, of names when we named our kids. <laughs> we were like, hey, that's a cool name. Let's call her that, you know? And that was her name. And then we were looking at the meanings and we were like, oh, wow, was, we got lucky because that really means something good, but we didn't plan it that way, right? In Hebrew culture, it would have been different. They would have named a child based on one of two things. Family history. So do you have somebody in your family with this name? And then secondly, um, what is its meaning? Simon is a name that means the one who listens, the one who hears. And Jesus says, Simon, I'm changing your name in this moment to Peter. Peter is a, a Greek word which means the rock, okay? So he's saying, I'm changing, because this is a, a moment of change. This is a foundational moment for you. From this point forward, your identity is being changed. You are not flaky. You are not uh, being tossed about by different kinds of thinking, but you will be steadfast. You will be strong. You will be secure like a rock. So this is the beginning of something brand new for Peter. So we asked a few moments ago, where does a healthy faith life begin? And the answer to that, as we see from Peter's example, is that a healthy faith life always starts with seeing Jesus for who he really is, for who he really is. Now let's look at the second part of this. What does a healthy faith life involve? What is, it into, uh, what is included in a healthy life where I'm continuing to grow and continuing to move forward spiritually? Jesus said in that verse, in verse 18, uh, I only read the beginning of it. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which is the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, one thing you may or may not know is that this moment that, where Jesus says, I will build my church, this is the introduction of the concept of the church to the people. This had never been spoken of before. This had never been revealed before. This is the moment where Jesus says, this is the next plan. I'm going to build a church, and this is what the church is going to be. He just kind of briefly alludes to it right now, but later on, he uh, sets it into motion. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see what Jesus' church was supposed to look like, what he wanted it to be. And we don't have these verses on the screen, but I'm going to read through a few verses in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And this is where Peter is now one of the primary leaders of this movement that has become the church of Jesus. He's, it says this in Acts 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared with everyone who was in need. They worshiped together at the temple daily. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I don't know if you noticed the theme there. There is a lot there. You, some, some parts probably spoke to you more than others. But there's one thing that I see in this that I see in Jesus's intention for what his church would be. The theme that I would point out is that the early church was intended to be a church actively engaged in their faith. You see, I mentioned a moment ago, this was the beginning of the idea of what a church would be. Before this, remember the context where this was said, these were Jewish people. And Jewish people gathered in a place for worship, but it was not what the church was supposed to be. I'm going to say it like this. The experience for the, the Jewish people in a synagogue setting was right here. But what Jesus was trying to do as he did with everything else was take this experience and elevate it even further. Because what this was was a passive experience where somebody would come and you would listen to somebody teach and you would listen to somebody read the scriptures and that's about the extent of your experience in a Jewish synagogue in those days. But Jesus talks about a movement. He talks about a church that would be active, that would be engaged, that would be not uh, you know, passive observers but active participants with every member carrying his or her part and every member actively engaged in the way according to their skill sets and their their interests and things like that. What Jesus was describing in Matthew 16 and what he established in Acts chapter 2 was a movement of people who would impact the world with the hope that he brought to the world. A movement not a place where people come just to, 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 to be a part, you know, just to hang out and see what's going on, but a movement where people are actively engaged, growing, being proactive with their own spiritual development and, and bringing that to help other people. You see, when we stop engaging, we cease to be a, a movement. And when we cease to be a movement, we get stagnant, we get lazy, We stop growing, and we cease to make a positive impact. And I don't know about you, but I don't have any interest in being a part of that. I don't. I don't have any interest in being a part of something that brings no life. It's like a body of water that has no flow through it. You know what I'm saying? Has no flow through it. It gets stagnant. It gets stinky. No life can live there. It's just a bacteria-ridden, horrible place. And I don't want my church experience to be anything like that. A few weeks ago, I shared a message. uh, It was right around Thanksgiving and we had people, you may have been here, maybe you were watching online, coming out on stage with the poster board and talking about this transformation that they had gone through. And if you remember that, it was this really cool, it was the end of our Rooted group. Rooted is a a 10-week group that we do where we focus on spiritual formation. We talk about developing the rhythms of a spiritual life. And we had 18 people go through it. And part of the, the, the program is, you know, we want you to know where were you before Jesus and what has he done in your life and what change have you seen? And maybe you're not a completed project, but maybe you're, you're, you know that you still have a ways to go, but God's doing something in your life. 
And so these people came out and they were holding up the signs. But one of the questions that we would ask in that class is the question that I want to present to you today. And that's this. What is your next step? You see, when we start thinking in terms of, of taking another step, we're, take, we're talking about growth. We're talking about movement. When we stop thinking that way, it's really easy to just get lazy and kick back and not focus on any kind of growth at all. But the question for us this morning is this. What is your next step? What do you need to do if it's one step you need to take in 2021 that will be an improvement over 2020? What is that step for you this year? Maybe you're one of these people who came in here today and you know, maybe you grew up uh, in a church or even if you just grew up in America and you've heard people talk about Jesus, all your life you've probably been able to easily answer the question, what do people say about Jesus? Because in America you hear people talk about it. You know, If you grew up in a church, you had a pastor, you had a priest. You had a Sunday school teacher. You had some kind of Christian educator, education person. You had, you know, maybe you went to a, a Catholic school, public school with, you know, whatever it was. But you had some kind of influence about who Jesus was. So for you, it might be really easy to answer the question, who do people say that Jesus is? But what if I were to ask you, who do you say that he is? What's your statement there? Because the whole point is, that Jesus made a very clear statement about himself. He is the Messiah. He is the way to God. He is the hope for your life. And, and that, that statement that Jesus makes demands a response from every single one of us. And so if you're here today and you've never answered that question, you've never answered that question, who is Jesus to you, then maybe that's the step you need to take. And you need to Resolve in your heart, who is this person who came so long ago and claimed to be the Messiah? And if he is the Messiah, what do I do with that? Or maybe you're in this other group where you've, you've seen Jesus for who he really is, but you're in a position where you need to be intentional about your growth and development, your own spiritual growth and development. Maybe your whole thing is, you know, you put your faith in Jesus some time ago, but you've gotten lazy. <laughs> you just kick back and you're like, okay, free pass to heaven. That's all I'm in for. You know, I don't care about anything else. I'm telling you, Jesus died to not only save you, but to use you to bring others you know, into faith, with, you know, into a relationship with him. And, um, and he, he, he died to, to make you an instrument of redeeming the world, bringing the world back to him. But so many of us just kind of kick back and we're like, you know what? I got my path to heaven. I'm good to go. I think I'm uh, going to hold on right there. Maybe your step that you need to make in 2021 is you need to engage in a new way. Maybe you come in on Sundays and it's real easy for you to be here because you like the people. You like the messages. You like the music. You like the coffee. You like the atmosphere. But you're not engaging. And, and please hear my heart on this. This is in no way a shame on you, wagging my finger at you kind of moment. This is a, man, I want what's best for you. And I don't think coming and just sitting and watching is what's best. I really don't. I want better.
turning their eyes to Jesus and, and trying to reflect on who he is and respond to him uh, for all that he's done for us. Maybe that's a step to, you need to take. Maybe your step is that you need to begin to do a Bible reading plan. Maybe you've never uh, read the Bible or fed yourself spiritually. All your spiritual food comes on Sunday morning when Dave is up here talking and then you go home and you starve for six days and you come back and you get filled up again. And if that's you, I'm telling you, not again, that's not a shame on you. That's a, there's better, there's better, there's better. God has equipped you to uh, take charge of your own spiritual growth and development. He's given you the same ability to understand the scriptures as he's given Dave or myself or anyone else. Um, and so, uh, and so maybe you need to find a Bible reading plan. If you don't know where to begin, uh, you can go through your web browser, go to connectwashington.org slash Bible. We have a 24-day uh, plan there. It's a part of the Bible app. If you have the app on your phone or your tablet or whatever, you can just kind of follow along and uh, read a chapter a day of the Gospel of John, and then there's a little bit of study that goes with that. So it's a good way for you to begin to develop a habit of Bible study. Maybe your step is you need to get baptized. You've been a follower of Jesus, but you've never made that public profession of your faith. And that's what baptism is. It's an outward sign to everyone in your life of where you stand in relationship to God. Maybe baptism is the step you need to take in 2021. Maybe you need to uh, trust God in a new way. This is probably the most difficult way for so many of us to trust him and to step out in faith. And that's with your finances. Maybe in this coming year, you need to take a step of faith and you need to figure out what does it look like for me to trust God with everything and, and not withhold something from him? And what does it look like for me to engage with God and be a part of the mission of the church through my financial generosity? I know in 2020, a lot of us lost income. A lot of us, you know, giving anything was a sacrifice. Maybe 2021 is going to be better. Maybe not. I don't know. I hope it is. I pray it is. But I don't know what it's going to look like. But God can show you what it looks like to engage on that level. Maybe you need to join a team. Maybe you need to join a group. Groups are where we do life together. We have community and fellowship. And you can find out more about those on the church website as well. It's a great way for you to engage with other people in your faith. I'm telling you, you guys, this is in no way, please hear my heart on this. I've said this a few times, but I gotta be so clear about this. This is in no way any kind of condemnation. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, wow, he's really going after me. I've, he's been watching me and I'm not engaging. I'm not watching any of you. I'm not, I'm, this is not about any, I want what's best for every single person here and everyone has a next step. And whatever your next step is, my prayer is that you will take it in 2021 because God wants you to move forward in your life. He wants you to grow. He wants you to um, take steps of progress there. So as we come to a close here, I just want to take a moment. I want to pray for you and pray for your step that you're going to take here in this upcoming year. Father, we thank you so much for the uh, goodness that you have shown to us through your son, Jesus we thank you, God, that when you sent him, he had a very clear message. It was a message of hope. It was a message of love. It was a message of restoration. It was also a message of turning from the destructive ways that we were walking in and turn to the hopeful way that he was leading us toward. And so, God, we pray in Jesus' name that you will open the eyes of anyone who is here who has never answered that question, who do I believe Jesus to be? And I, I pray, Lord, that if they are seeing you for who that you really are, maybe for the first time, that you will draw them into a relationship with you. Let them understand that you are 
as close as a friend and you're a, a savior to them because you've saved them from the empty life that they were born into here in this world, when, one that was marked by sin, but now you have redeemed them from that. But God, we also pray for anyone who's taking another step forward in 2021. Lord, whatever that step is, Lord, there's no condemnation here. There's no shame here, but everyone, myself included, has a step to take forward. And whatever that step is, Lord, I pray that you would make it clear and then give us an ability to, to trust you as we take that step forward in our spiritual lives in 2021. We thank you, God, that you have more for us and good things are ahead for us. And we look forward to all of that as we look into 2021 and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.